0: baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. When Jesus dropped in on our world, he started something that meant to keep going. Now it's our turn to keep the message moving, to reach, to grow, to equip others until Jesus returns. Get ready to hear exactly what Jesus said we need to do.
1: 50 or 60 years after having given the Great Commission, Jesus said this, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. The value of what we have done will be measured by a comparison with what Jesus has instructed us to do. Did we do what he's told us? The Great Commission is his instruction set for the time until he returns. This is our assignment. This is why we have been left on this planet to accomplish a certain mission that is a continuation of what Jesus has done. Now in the passage we just read, did you notice the alls all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all the nations. He says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Basically, what Jesus is declaring is this. I have, given, I have been given all the power, all the authority to support a bold mission. So go to every people group on the planet, teach them to observe everything I said, and I will partner with you every single day until I return. So last week, we noted the core command and the three terms that describe the relevant process. Make disciples is the core command. That's the imperative. And he's saying, make disciples. That is your job. A disciple is a Jesus learner. He is someone who pays attention to what Jesus says and then does what the Lord asks and is becoming like Jesus. Disciples of Jesus later came to be called Christians in Acts 11.26, but that wasn't for 10 or so years later, but they are the same term. A Christian is a disciple, a disciple is a Christian. And then three participles in that Great Commission tell us about the process. Okay, how do I make disciples? What exactly does that mean I do? And the word go, baptizing, and teaching are participles that help us understand what the process looks like. In order to make disciples, you need to go, then baptize, then teach. Now, go means making intentional contact with others. Actually, Making a relationship or establishing a relationship that can serve as the context in which you share Christ. Mark's parallel account, because Mark also records this great commission. And in it, he adds preaching to the go piece. In other words, go preach. Don't just relocate physically, but use your words. We connect with others and then we share with them the good news. Phase two is baptizing. And basically what we're doing is assisting others to make a public declaration of their identity with Jesus. And then phase three of making disciples is the teaching phase, helping others to live in accord with Jesus' clear direction. So all of that is what we talked about in our last sermon, and now we're going to build on that. You are not making disciples if you hunker into your bunker. You must make intentional contact with others for the purpose of sharing Christ. You're not making disciples if you maintain it's fine to be a fan of Jesus without publicly declaring yourself as a Jesus follower. We need to challenge and encourage people to make it unequivocally clear they are all in with Jesus, and we do that by means of baptism. That's the way we go public with our identification with him. You are not making disciples if you dismiss as irrelevant what Jesus says about how we should live. We must call people to use Jesus' commands as their compass for living. That's a part of what it means to be disciple makers. That's why we're here. This is our earthly mission. This is why we are here. Jesus left us on the planet to make disciples until he returns. And we make disciples by making intentional contact with people, telling them the good, you, good news. That's the go preach part. Then we baptize those who become Jesus followers. And then we teach them how to live in a way that lines up with their new identity. That's our mission. That's why we're here. So how do we get started? You know, how do, how do we... All right, make this practical, Jim. And that's what we're going to do, both this Sunday and then the next sermon in the series, which will happen after the missions focus. So you heard from Zoe how she told us about her specific approach to connecting with people, actually using questions as a way to be able to start conversations with people. And maybe as she was sharing, you were thinking, how can I possibly do that? I mean, (laughs) uh, talk to people. All right. Let me give you a tip for those of you who are a little bit conversation averse, all right? This is a tip from Jesus that's going to help you. Now, listen to what Jesus says. This is from Luke eighteen, sixteen, and 17. He says, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now let's extract a couple things from that passage First insight is this Children have a natural inbuilt predisposition Toward the things of God And it's something that has to be recovered When you become an adult Now praise God that there are adults who come to Christ But children are naturally wired To where they're open to hear about the, the gospel In fact let's do this I don't normally ask for a show of hands But I'm going to do it right now how many of you came to Christ at age 20 or below? <laughs> and you can look around if you want to. Those of you, are in the, keep them up. Put them, put, them, put them back up. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it's possible to do the go preach phase and to baptize and to teach with kids and they're already interested. Here's second insight. Jesus wants us to remove hindrances in children coming to him. So if we can make gospel connections with kids and do what Jesus wants, it's like win-win. We tap into a, a great season and we can make a difference. So for you, some of you who are saying, I'm not ready to go stand in the line outside the grocery store and hand out tracts and share Jesus... You got anything that's got a little bit lower threat level, what I'm here to tell you is, have you ever thought about being involved in children's ministry? And to help you understand why that's a really good idea, Eliana is gonna come up and help me. So come on up. And here's your microphone. I know you wanna hold the microphone, okay? So anyway, so uh, just turn a little bit so everybody can see you, very good. So, uh, tell us your name and just a little bit about you. How old are you and what you're doing school-wise? So,
0: um, My name is Eliana Horton, and I'm 10 years old right now um, for I homeschool. So, I just basically, like, my mom teaches me at home. Cool.
1: And so, you've been coming here for as long as you can remember to uh, Sunday school and children's church and Wednesday nights and so on. Is that right? Do you like it?
0: Yes, I do. What,
1: what's kind of the fun for you? What do you like a lot?
0: Um, I like the Wednesday night service where um, we go outside or go to the gym and Miss foot. And yeah. the part where we do with Miss
1: Yeah. And you like doing the drums, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, how has being involved in children's ministry made a difference, you think, in your life? How has that affected you?
0: Um, it's helped me grow my understanding of Jesus and... Help me to know him better. and know what he wants me to do.
1: So you accepted Christ uh, through the help of mom and dad, and, but don't remember it. It was when like you were five or so, right? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. But how has uh, Sunday school and being involved helped you to grow? Are there some specific things that you found helpful?
0: Um, we ha- me and my mom do a devotional. Together um that's god, bi- god based mm-hmm. So uh we do that mostly every day. Cool help me.
1: Now who's Gail?
0: Um Gail is one of my teachers. Um yes. I've known her for a long time.
1: You kinda like Gail, is that what you're telling me? Why is that? <laughs> what is it about Gail that's made a difference in your life?
0: Um she's nice, she helps by explaining things to me and making my Sunday school lessons easier for me to understand.
1: So Do you think that Gail has helped you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would you say, uh, give her a 10 or an 8 or a 5? What would you say?
0: I'd say a 10. A 10.
1: Good answer. Good answer. So... Well, Eliana, we're so proud of who you are becoming. And you were baptized here a couple years ago, right? And so you Mm -hmm. declared publicly, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And now you're growing, and your parents are right in the middle of that. But so is Sunday School, and so is Gail, helping you to become more and more the kind of person that Jesus likes. Love it. Thanks Mm -hmm. for sharing, Eliana. Appreciate it. So you can make disciples right back there if you want to. That's a way we can do it. Now, this strategy of go, preach, baptize, teach was actually the the very same strategy that Jesus used. And so I'm going to show you several passages that give us insight. This is what Jesus did. We go, so did he. It says in uh, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, we need to go to make disciples. And Jesus sought. He actually came to this planet because he saw you and me. And said, if I don't, if I don't make intentional contact with the people of this planet, I won't have them. We go and we preach. That's what he's told us to do. Go preach. That's what he did. Here's from uh, Luke 8, 1. It says, soon afterwards, he, Jesus, began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. So Jesus makes intentional contact and he gets vocal. He starts sharing with people. Uh, He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, He baptized. This is from uh, John 3.22. It says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And the word baptizing there is in the... uh, Sorry to get grammatical with you, but it helps to explain the point. is in the third person singular, meaning it's a reference to Jesus. Initially, Jesus was the one doing the baptizing. Now, eventually, when he called his disciples they began to do the baptizing but at least initially Jesus was doing the baptizing he says go preach that he did baptize that he did and Jesus was the one doing the baptizing and then he says teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you Jesus did the same thing here's in his prayer he says now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. You Hear what Jesus is saying? Father, you gave me a package of truth, and I gave it to the disciples. I taught them everything. And here in the Great Commission, he's saying the same thing to us, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Take everything I've explained, everything I've told you to do, And teach that. And don't just teach the content. Teach them how to live and use that as a compass. So when we are told to go preach, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, Jesus is asking us to do nothing more than what he did while he was here. In fact, we are simply continuing what he did. He left us here on planet while he goes to prepare a place for us and to be our advocate in heaven so that we will continue the very mission that he embraced when he was here. Jesus employed the very same strategy that to invest in the 12 that he wants us to use here in Memphis and beyond. And he went from square 1 to finished product in 3 years. He wants us to make intentional contact with people in Memphis. He's already put people around you that he wants you to reach. He wants us to make intentional contact with people in Memphis. Talk to them. Bring them to a place where they are ready to identify publicly with Jesus Christ by being baptized. And then teach them how to live in a way that lines up with this new identity. That's why we're here. That's what our mission is. So, as I've thought about first of Anne, I think of the different phases of disciple-making. Our biggest challenge is in the go phase, making intentional contact with people for the purpose of sharing Christ. So what I would like to do in both this message and the one to follow is really zoom in for a closer view. If Jesus is the model... You know, if we're supposed to go preach, and that's what Jesus did, in his case, it didn't involve just going across the street to the neighbor. It meant coming to the planet. So he knows what it means to do some serious going. How did he do this? What was his technique? I want to learn how to do this. Well, let's then think of this as a chance, both in this sermon and the one to come, as a chance to look over Jesus' shoulder and explore his go-preach technique. And there are five practical steps that he has shown us. And I, I went full preacher mode on this. Uh, all of my points begin with the letter S. So anyway, they are, here we go. Uh, and these are things that Jesus did. Seek, see, Share, serve, speak. Now, this morning, I'm only going to do the first one, the seek one, and in the next sermon, we'll do the other four, but we can observe in Jesus where he sought out people, he actually saw, which is the kind of the spiritual assessment piece, he would share with them, Uh, he would serve them, and he would speak. And so if we can get a hold of that, we can become a force to be reckoned with as disciple-makers in the city of Memphis and beyond. So let's start with the first one, seek. And to do that, there are a number of passages where we could look at this, but let's watch Jesus as he passes through Jericho en route to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. So here's the account. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your home. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's he's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in that last statement, Jesus is basically saying, you want to understand what just happened? I am on mission to seek, make intentional contact with those who are in this case, he uses the word lost. I am making intentional contact with lost people as the first step in a process that leads to them being saved. So let's first unpack some details from the passage. Jericho was a little paradise. It had palm trees, rose gardens, Herod the Great and his son had made it even better. So it was a a pretty town that he was walking through. In verse 2, this is the only reference to someone who is a chief tax collector which means he's the head of an entire tax district around Jericho, which was one of the three main Palestinian offices. So he's like, you know, high up in the bureaucracy. He's a very wealthy man, but he's regarded as a traitor and a crook. Tax collectors were not viewed favorably uh, then and now, I suppose. But in this case, they were also viewed as political traitors. They were collecting tax for Rome this empire that had conquered Palestine you're collaborating with the enemy you're collecting money for them and so he was viewed as a traitor and he's the chief tax collector so he's a chief traitor this is really a fantastic irony the name Zacchaeus means the righteous one Can you imagine how everybody was making sport out of his name? Oh yeah, the righteous one is coming. So deep is his interest in Jesus that he is willing to do anything. Now the sycamore tree in uh, the Holy Land has branches that are low to the ground and therefore it would be suitable for a short man to be able to reach one of those and climb up. The sycamores on our property out needs uh, you have to go up 50 feet before there's a branch, but that was not the case here. It is significant that, although, Jesus was, uh, that all, although Zach was eager to see Jesus, Jesus took the initiative in arranging personal contact. In other words, he just went up in the tree and is looking, and Jesus stopped. Zach, I need to come to your house. <laughs> that's really something isn't it Jesus did not say hey, hey Zach uh, see you up there in the tree uh, just wondering would it be convenient if, we, if I maybe came by uh, today, tomorrow, sometime this week what, what works for you he didn't say that he said it is a matter of necessity that I have dinner with you what's that about I wonder He sees something. Now, Jesus is en route to Jerusalem where he will be crucified in a matter of days, maybe a few weeks, I don't know the exact timing. Is this Jesus saying, we need to meet together because our paths are not gonna cross this side of the cross again. Was that what was driving it? I don't know. Another incident that occurred in Jericho, this had happened just a little bit before, maybe a day or two before, a rich young ruler had come to him and basically said, hey, I want to I you know, be a righteous man. What have I got to do? And he was told, sell all you got, give it to the poor and follow me. And he walked away sad, bitter. I don't really know. All I do know is this, that this fits with his mission. Jesus says, I need to talk to you. I need to get together with you. I need to come to your house. Why? Because I am on mission to seek lost people. Zacchaeus is clearly hated by all. And Jesus is not unaware of the criticism Uh, In Matthew 11, Jesus makes this statement. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. You think this is a man to follow? Look who he hangs out with. But because of this encounter, Zacchaeus has changed. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Would you do that? Take half of your net worth. That's what Zacchaeus is doing. He says, and if I have defrauded, and that in Greek is something known as a first-class condition. It's basically a way of saying, if and I have, he is going to due restitution. Now the law specified 120% restitution. It says this in Leviticus 6, 4, and 5. Um, He shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. But that's not what Zacchaeus says. If I have defrauded anyone, we're gonna pay back multiples of what was taken. What was going on here? According to verse 9, Jesus says, Salvation has come to this house. In other words, something has happened in this man, Zacchaeus, that is transformative from the inside out. Now, we don't know all the details, which I would love to know. And good ending to the story in heaven, we will get to look up Zacchaeus and say, What was that all about? What was that like? Walk us through it. I want to know. Now, we can extract from this passage five seeker principles. And that's what I want to do is is say, how do you make intentional contact with lost people? How did you do this, Jesus? Help me understand this. So that's what we're going to do. So here's my five principles. Here's the first one. Lost people must be sought before they can be saved. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Imagine a search and rescue mission without the search. So we we go set up a base camp. We've got food, we've got supplies, we've got medical supplies, all the staff are on hand. The choppers are in the parking lot, a lot at the ready. Here's our rescue station. Everybody's standing by. And then we wait for those who need help to come to our first aid station. It's called search and rescue because you search to rescue. (laughs) We go to them, wherever God's got them. Jesus is saying that we must become search and rescue team members. We have got to comb the countryside and find out where the people are who need to be rescued. Now, there are going to be some who are going to say, we're fine here, we're fine here, fine. Go find somebody who's saying... My marriage is a mess. I don't think I know what I'm doing with my life. Well, then those are the people that we make intentional contact with in order to rescue them. Principle number two, seekers don't wait for opportunity. This is an interesting one. We will often remain silent because we're waiting for an opportunity. We want someone to broach the topic so it will be natural. You know, I used to do this with groups that I was trying to help them understand this principle. And I found this to be a pretty good deal. So sometimes there will be different stores that open that have all these, uh, you know, things that they're going to give you. You can do this uh, on Black Friday, for example, although now they're open on Thanksgiving. But I would go, for example, there was a sporting goods store that was opening and they were going to give certain presents to the first 100 customers or whatnot. So I went with a group of other guys, and we got in line. Now, I didn't care about the store. I didn't care about the thing. But what I knew is that I've got at least two people, one in front of me and one behind me. And so I started talking to the person in front of me. Hey, what kind of stuff do you do? You know, And we had conversations. And when it looked like that one wasn't going anywhere, I turned to the person behind me. Making opportunities. That's what Jesus did. He didn't wait to get an email from Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, we need to get together now. Are we afraid of looking silly or foolish or of being rejected? Seekers don't wait until it's convenient to seek. They make intentional connections with people, even strangers, and initiate conversations. Third principle, seekers see needs where others see lost causes. (laughs) I love this one. Zacchaeus was a lost cause. Everyone had written him off. No one wanted to have anything to do with him. They didn't like his value system. They resented his lifestyle. They didn't find anything attractive in him. They saw no basis to have contact with this man. But Jesus saw what no one else did. Here is a man who will respond to genuine compassion. And I'm going to talk to him. Precisely because everyone else has written him off, he is ripe to discover that God has not written you off. And God hadn't. Seekers see needs where others see lost causes. Fourth principle, seekers put themselves at risk and are undaunted by criticism. Can you imagine what this is like? Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, and says, I need to come to your house for dinner. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Can you believe this, Jesus? I cannot believe he is going to have dinner with a Zacchaeus. The value of finding a lost person matters more than losing his reputation. Did you notice? Well, you might not have. Um, If you were working through the book of Luke, you would notice the contrast between something that also happened in Jericho Could have been moments before. There was a man by the name of Bartimaeus, and Jesus, you know, he refused to be quiet, ran up to Jesus. Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, I I want to see. And Jesus says, You got it. And then the text tells us when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. They said, God is so amazing. And when they saw Jesus inviting Zacchaeus to come and let's go have dinner together, and when they saw it, they all began to grumble. By the way, all began to grumble. Everybody who saw it said, what is Jesus doing? Makes me ask this question. Am I willing to make gospel connections with someone when others will criticize me for doing so? Jesus' answer is, yes, I will. The last of the seeker principles is seekers have learned the power of compassion. Uh, In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What What he saw in Zacchaeus was Here is a man for whom there has been no experience of compassion. But I am going to give that to him. Jesus showed to him undeserved acceptance and compassion. Now, Jesus wasn't in that endorsing the fact that he was robbing people, which he was. Imagine our search and rescue team and imagine we're out there and we discover someone who's bleeding, throwing up and we decide, you know, I think I'm going to go rescue somebody else who's a little less repulsive. If you only hear this, this is good. If we are going to seek lost people, we cannot be repulsed or reject people because of characteristics they have as lost people. What do you expect them to be? They're lost. We seek out lost people for the purpose of convincing them how stupid they are for getting lost. Is that a good idea? I don't think so. Jesus didn't seek out Zacchaeus to (laughs) convict him. He sought him out because he wanted to show him grace. And Zacchaeus responded. And he's going to be in heaven because of how Jesus so effectively made intentional contact with somebody that everybody else had written off seekers succeed when the lost discover in them the grace that the heart of certain men and women longs for and apparently Zacchaeus's heart was prepared to respond to grace and that's what Jesus gave to him I wonder who Does God want you to search out, make intentional contact with in the next three weeks? You know, we'll have another sermon on this topic and we'll do the other four S's then. But between now and then, you have been assigned, Jesus specifically put you in this community to be a part of his search and rescue unit for the community of Memphis and beyond. And I'll just point out here, There are, and and back here too, there are marriages all around us right now that are at risk. And what they need is to know about the one who can heal, even a broken marriage. There are lives and homes that are being shaken, there are people who are lost. And they aren't going to find their way to the truth unless we go find them and bring the gospel to them. Are you willing to seek out lost souls and tell them about Jesus? Will you show them the side of Jesus that he showed to Zacchaeus? Then Memphis will not be the same. I'd like you to pray with me, but it, this, is a, this is a prayer of a seeker. So you're going to have to ask yourself, okay, is he saying what I am identifying with? Then I want you in your heart, uh, I mean, it's fine if you want to do it out loud, but I want you in your heart to say amen. That is my prayer too. That is my prayer too. Let's pray. Lord, we will go find lost sheep. Whom do you want each of us to seek? Right now, would you tell us a name? Show us a face? Or, if it's better, simply prompt us in the right moment when it is time to speak. With your help, we will leave this place prepared. Once we walk out the door, we are prepared to follow your son who came to our world to seek and to save those who are lost. So give us the eyes to see what Jesus did for us. Embolden us to do likewise and intentionally seek out any Zacchaeuses whom you have positioned along our path. Help us to boldly, graciously, intentionally be like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. We want to leave this place ready to speak Jesus to the world.